we were for sure the the Instagram and Facebook generation, and Twitter sure. generation, Snapchat generation, and yeah. then I guess and Vine too, towards the end. Yeah, I mean, oh, college, dude, rest in peace. Vine was dude, a thing was, when we were like in college, like that era, was and, like amazing, staying dude. up till like two a.m. watching Vines. Dude, oh, Vine was God. so much better than TikTok. You want to know why? Oh, yeah, because it was six seconds. Yes. Yes. Dude, it was six seconds, and you had to get your joke or your your point or the the climax of the video had to be done in six seconds. I appreciate you being on this episode man i know it's kind of tough being through zoom um but i appreciate taking the time the time difference of being on this episode yeah i mean it's my pleasure absolutely man well you know i just want to jump right in you know um you've had a crazy last like seven years like hopping across countries and playing professionally but take it back before these past seven years before college um go back to like growing up with family i know you have a strong family ties and and with soccer in general um do you remember kind of when you first started you know, getting into the game of soccer and, and loving it or football. I mean, I'll, I'll allow that as well. If you want to say that <laughs> it's more comfortable. Yeah. Um, I, I for sure remember when I first started playing soccer was because um, my first sport was hockey, but I didn't really like playing hockey. So my parents really wanted me to play a sport because I was a very active and high energy kid. So they, they thought it would be a good idea to get me involved in like a soccer club. So um, they, they uh, signed me up for the local soccer team here, and I just remember loving it. I remember the transition from hockey to soccer was just day and night. I could run compared to having to skate and put on this heavy, like, equipment on. And, you know, it just felt like I just – I genuinely didn't like playing hockey that much um, when I was a kid. But then as I grew older, I liked playing it as a hobby. But then I just I remember the contrast of having playing hockey and soccer. I was like, wow, I like this so much better. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I remember really. Um, uh, it was just like, man, this is so much more fun. Like I can run around, I can kick people, I can kick a ball, and kick yeah, people. just <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, did you grow up in Charlotte, or did you move there at a at a later age, or? Yeah, so no, I actually, I'm in Katzis, Switzerland right now. It's a very small town in the canton of Graubünden, and uh, that's where I grew up, and I'm currently here with my family. Um, So I was born in Miami, Florida, because my mom wanted all of her kids to have American citizenship. So we were all born in America, but then we still were living here, because my dad had a job here. So I grew up in Katzis for 15 years I went all of my school here uh, from pre-k up until ninth grade and then the Swiss system works uh, after school you have to go do an apprenticeship or you continue to study in this like pre-university that will probably lead you into a university if you take that route usually you just go to the university at 18 but um, I was looking at um, you know looking to go play in college so my parents thought that it would be best for me to go to the United States and continue school in high school and then just try to earn a scholarship to go, go to college. Um, and that's exactly what happened. That's how it panned out. Um, I ended up moving to Charlotte, North Carolina at 15. Um, then um, I went to this high school called Audrey Kell. 
um, which is in Mecklenburg County in Charlotte. Um, I did sophomore, junior, and senior year there, and I was recruited to go to UNC Charlotte uh, my junior year of high school. So that's kind of how the whole Charlotte thing happened. And it's crazy. Like I transferred to Charlotte the year after the 2011 run, but so obviously I was always around Charlotte just being great in soccer, but what made you kind of choose Charlotte? Is it because the kind of being comfortable with already being in the same town, you wanted to kind of stay somewhat local also for the family's sake or? Yeah, that's, that was primarily the idea. Yeah. So um, I felt like I already moved away from my home, you know, like I felt like moving to Charlotte was already a big transition for me. So I thought, you know, staying closer to Charlotte or as close as possible to home would be a benefit for me just, you know, so I would be close to my family and also my family could come watch me play. And it actually worked out amazing. Like it was, it was a very good experience and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was always fun. Uh, I did a lot of the play-by-play for Charlotte and a lot of the games were horrible to call because they would be, you'd be up by so much that it was hard to fill like 30 minutes of the last half to like fill up with space. So it was just making up stuff like, yeah, uh, you know, Bronico is wearing some nice green boots today. And just, it was just so hard to fill gaps because it was a lot of the games from a, you know, someone watching the stands was probably awesome, but some of the games I hated to do because it was so hard to fill up space when the score was four one or stuff like that. It's hard yeah, to I know what you're saying. <laughs> um, kind of walk through that first year. I mean, as I mean, you came into Charlotte 2011, and um, did you know at the time was it 2011 the year? Okay, yeah. yeah. So, um, did you know at the time your first practice that this is a special team that can make it all the way to the cup? Uh, you know, I t- to be honest, I really went in blindly into college. Um, I. I didn't really know all too much about college soccer. Like I, like I said before, I, I moved from Switzerland over to the United States and I kind of learned what the next steps were um, over time through talking to friends and like, you know, just kind of learning the American culture and stuff like that. So um, to be honest, I wasn't a hundred percent sure if UNC Charlotte was really that good of a school for soccer at the time, but I knew it was good for me. Like I knew that it was uh, exactly what I wanted, close to home with my family. Um, it was a top 25 school at the time. So I did know it was a good choice for me. But like, you know, there's people that are saying, no, you should go to Chapel Hill. You should go to Wake Forest. Uh, you know, you should look at other alternatives outside of the state and et cetera. But for me, it just made a lot of sense. So um, when I entered into college or my freshman year, um, I wasn't really too sure what to expect. I felt like um, I knew that we would have a successful season just because of the coach, because of uh, Jeremy Gunn. But um, I wasn't really too sure like how far we can really take things. Um, I, I first started realizing how good we were. Um, honestly, probably 10 or so games in, like halfway through the season, because it took me some time to realize that, you know, hey, you know, we're beating some big teams and we're, we're staying competitive with everyone. And um, once playoffs and, you know, conference championships and stuff like that were coming into play, that's really when I knew that, man, like this is, we're a good team. Like we have a lot of good assets. We have a lot of good characters on the team. 
very important leadership roles. Um, and yeah, I mean, I feel like the fundamentals of the team were, were incredible. I think the coaching was on, on point. The accountability was on point. Um, you know, the attitude of the players were on point. Uh, so I think all the combination of all those things really made us successful. Awesome. And I feel like ever since then, everyone is just, it's just the mainstay that Charlotte will be good at soccer. You know, like coming in before you got there, you said top 25, but ever since that 2011 run, I mean, they won the A-10. Was it the following year you guys won it again? The continent we hosted it in Charlotte at Transamerica, or was it the two years after? We, um, we won the regular season, I think. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we won the regular season, and then we ended up losing to VCU in the tournament, unfortunately. But the A-10 was – it was a lot harder than what people made it out to be. Like, people said it was, like, you know, a northern turf conference. Like, you know, just very, very rough. Like, just, you know, just super physical and stuff. But in reality, it was pretty good quality soccer. I mean, like, I – dude, there's players from college that I – players I played in college with that are now in the MLS and also had great careers as pros after – after college and they went to those quote unquote inferior colleges. Mm -hmm. Um, but when we played like, for example, VCU and a 10 St. Louis and a 10, um, uh, Xavier and a 10, like those were top, top schools, you know? Um, mm. and I always felt like it was weird when people would say, Oh yeah, a 10 is not a good conference. Oh yeah. A 10 is not a good conference. But like, they genuinely don't really know because they're not playing the games. You know what I mean? They're, <laughs> they're just spectating and just looking at reports and they're seeing what other people are saying about this conference. But in reality, like it was a lot harder to compete with these guys because maybe technically they weren't good or as good. Sorry, not good. They were good. They weren't as good or as highly rated as other colleges, for example, North Carolina, but they had this attitude and this physicality about them, this aggression about them, that was way harder to overcome and to overpower than somebody with technical ability, you know? And that's, that for me is like something, something that people don't really take, don't take very serious. Like they say, oh yeah, you need to be graceful on the ball. Oh yeah, you need to have this perfect touch and everything, yada, yada, yada. But then, like, the second that you're, like, a grinder, you know, they just don't rate you as much anymore. And I don't really understand that, you know. I feel, like, I feel like, Go ahead. I feel, like, I feel like the people who were the critics are the ones who were sitting back on their couch. They couldn't even probably juggle more than two times in a row without the ball going <laughs> off to the side, you know. So it's yeah. – people are, are going to be the toughest critics because people just want to feel like they're, are, they're more superior when they don't even play in general, but – yeah. That's one of the frustrating things, especially with sports. You know, you have these, you know, superb athletes who are in well physical shape and, you know, they have one bad game. Oh, they're in bad form or stuff like that. It's like it's mm -hmm. these people are so quick to judge when they can't run yeah. a mile. <laughs> so it's, right. I mean, I, I mean, just to clarify my statement, I think that it's very important to have a balance on the team. You need a player. You need a playmaker. You need a player that ha that is very graceful on the ball, is intelligent, uh, has the technical ability, and and you know all those those tangible attributes with the ball. But you know there is something to be said about the person who's a quote unquote I say inferior player technically that has this mindset that they'll never give up. I mean, look at the Ronaldo and Messi comparison. People say Messi is just this pure natural talent. 
And Ronaldo is not this pure natural talent. He is a product of hard work. And if you think about it, their objective is to score goals and assist their teammates to win games. And they're both at the same level, give or take. And one is a body, uh, a product of hard work, and the other one is just super duper natural talent. And like, you know, Ronaldo gets criticized for only scoring goals. That's what he's good at. He only scores goals and he's selfish. But Messi gets praised because he's naturally gifted. You understand? So it's like, I don't understand the whole argument. Like, if it doesn't look pretty, it's not like, you know, I guess as attractive for people. And I just don't get that. I don't get that argument. I mean, there's dozens of players in the EPL that have made careers out of just being absolute studs, like physically, and maybe their feet aren't as good um, because that's just the nature of the game in England. I mean, look at James Milner. This guy is a beast. This guy has played every position known to me. I mean, this guy's played left back, right back, center midfield as a six, center midfield as an eight. He's played as a left winger. He's played as a right winger. And, I mean, this guy, they say that he's a donkey with his feet. But, dude, he's played every position. He's won every title. And, dude, this guy's 36 or something like that, and he's still playing at the best team in England. And I respect that. Like, I respect that so much more than a person that, you know, like, for example, Andrea Pirlo. Like, I love him. I think he's one of my favorite players of all time. And he's super-duper just, I mean, amazing player like I mean on the ball and like just he he'll pick a pass 60 70 yards and he won't miss it like at all like by a millimeter like on the dime he'll give it to you but then you know defensively he lacks you know what I mean but then you have like a counterpart you have a counterpartner for that you have like a Conte Mm -hmm. you have someone that will do the dirty work for you so you look good and you know that's something that like people don't take account for like Messi has teammates that make him look amazing. Ronaldo has teammates that make him look amazing. So it's like, I, I just can't stand when people just like neglect certain attributes of certain players. Yeah. That's a beautiful point. I, I love it. I feel like there's just purists. You want to see their own certain way, but there is no right way for soccer or any sport. I mean, everyone has their, their pros and cons. And I that you clarified that. That was awesome. Um, Going kind of back to the whole, you know, going through Charlotte, you've done, you had kind of successful run. Um, how do you see as far as the comparison from like, you know, kind of more the American culture as far as, you know, people most likely go to college, get their education, then try to see what they can do in the professional level. Um, whereas, you know, in Europe, these kids are going to the academies at the age of 10 and 11 and stuff like that. Um mm-hmm. Do you see any, I guess, kind of first off, what's kind of your overall feeling as far as the two different approaches to it? Do you see pros and cons of each or which one do you prefer or, or what? To be quite honest, I think that both of them are, are amazing in their own way. Um, so I, I really commend, um, you know, the United States for giving opportunities for just human beings in general to go study and also play a sport of their choice, um, you know, at this, like simultaneously. Because a lot of countries don't allow that in the sense, just system, just pure systematically. Like, for example, here in Switzerland, it's usually a choice between I'm going to go the educational route or I'm going to go the sports route. And, you know, it's uh, it's very rare that uh, you can do both. 
um i mean i wouldn't say very rare i just say it's rare because like people just do the all or nothing approach either they're going to say hey i'm going to go to school and i'm going to get a good job i'm going to get education or hey i'm going to really pursue this profession uh as an athlete um but in america up until 22 23 years old you have the ability or the choice to live out this dream to play at a very high level and simultaneously get a degree and I think that is so like, that is so special because there's people that wish they could just do one or the other, but in America, you're, you're presented the choice to do both at the, t- at the same time. Um, and I think to that point, you know, people take it for granted and I have as well, because I would complain about, man, like, you know, I just want to play pro. Like, you know, I just want to be a professional. I just want to make money. I just want this to be my livelihood. But then, obviously, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I mean, you you live out your life, and then you look back and you think, "Hey, man, I should have done this better, that better. That was way better than what I thought at the time." Looking back at it, it's like you know, like being presented with that opportunity to get a degree and playing sports. This there's nothing better. I mean, like you're securing yourself in life while doing what you love. And uh, here in Europe, like in Switzerland, particularly, is where I live. Um, a lot of kids don't have degrees or they don't have any type of certification, any type of schooling beyond ninth grade, because at 15, 16, they just choose to go and all in approach for soccer. And God forbid, you know, we all know that, you know, the nature of the game is very cruel politically and also just physically, like, you know, you could you could get injured, unfortunately, and, and, you know, you'll just won't come out to be the same player um, or, um, you know, you, you just don't want to play anymore because that injury was so dramatic, et cetera. And then you're stranded kind of with this, you know, well, I put all my eggs in one basket type of approach and then you're kind of lost, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's why I think mentorship and people who have gone before should be talking to these kids and, and, and I wouldn't say educating them because that kind of makes them, makes it sound like they're not educated. They are educated kids, but guiding them in the right direction and saying, Hey, I think you should go to school or I think you should start an apprenticeship or I think you should start this certification so that God forbid, if something happens, you got something to fall back on. Yeah, that's true. I feel like, so I guess, the upside of that is that you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket, but is that kind of what makes, you know, the, the, the running, you know, mantra for the past 10 years is American soccer will never be, never be able to compete in the world cup. Is that because you think a lot of these other countries are going all in on these kids at a young age. So, whereas there's a lot that probably fall through the cracks of not being, you know, a diploma and everything, but you get one or two studs every time you do it. You think that's kind of the, the only, like kind of an upside of starting at an academy at a young age is that some of these kids, you know, some of them fall below, but some of them do prosper, you know, like do you right. feel like that's kind of what's holding, you know, American soccer as a whole back from competing with other countries? Uh, to be honest, no, because I just think it's the system as a whole, like beyond college. I think it's just the professional system, like as how it's set up as a whole it's not it's not because the kids are going to college that the united states national team isn't good or isn't as good as it should be because the united states compared to the rest of the world has more resources 
than than anyone i mean i'm telling you people in europe are picking ideas and brains from american people you know what i mean like america is just so innovative and we're full of very smart and brilliant people in the sports industry and people in europe want to pick off their brains so like a lot of american influence gets brought over to europe and they just implement it and specify it with like specific groups so like for example like childhood psychology you know they implement that childhood psychology in a professional club with their academy kids already. Whereas in America, you're just kicking around at club soccer and you're just having, you know, your juice box after, you know what I mean? And you're going to, to Chick-fil-A after your Saturday game. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's that family approach. Whereas in Europe, they're already being treated like professionals at like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So it has to do with the system. It doesn't really have to do with the kids going to college. Um, I think that there are, brilliant players that went to college and have made amazing careers like for example one of my buddies uh Oguchi Onyewu like uh he uh, he went to Clemson University um and he um ended up playing in the biggest clubs in the world like he played for AC Milan where Ronaldinho was there Ronaldo was there and he went to college and you know like for example um uh, what's his name? There, there, there are several American players. I'm trying to think. Um, Stuart Holden. He ended up playing in the Premier League, and he went to Clemson. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of my brain kind of froze for a second, but there are a lot of examples of U.S. national team players. Or uh, Brian McBride. He ended up playing in Fulham, and uh, he went to um, he went to St. Louis university and uh the clint dempsey went to Furman, um and he ended up playing in the premier league you know so it's like american players are good like there are some quality players coming out of the united states i just think that like you you mentioned it a lot of talent is seeping through the cracks because of the system and i don't think it has to do with college i'm talking about the system post-college pre-college because if you're picking this talent before going to college, they're already going to be a good pro because they're in this professional environment at a younger age. But if you pick these players, you know, like at 23, they're already molded into this player that they've already honed their craft or they've, I guess, reached this abil- this point of ability at 23 where they could have been at a different level if they would have been at a pro level at 18, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that it has absolutely nothing to do with college itself. I think college is great. I really do. I think it's amazing. Um, I just think that the professional system needs to change in the United States. The whole format, I think that they need to, there needs to be promotion relegation. I mean, that's such a controversial topic in the United States, but it, com- it, it creates competitiveness. I mean, it just creates an environment where like, you know what, like we might relegate, like we have to kind of figure out a way to win games. Um, and it kind of sparks things up and, you know, it gives incentive for lower league teams to win games because if you win games, you have, have potential to go up. Uh, so it creates a sense of competitiveness that, you know, the United States doesn't have, which is super country or super co- like it's the opposite of the United States. The United States is all about competition. Mm-hmm. The United States is like middle name is, competition you know what i mean it's 
we create like, brackets for like best fast food chains. Like we create all these different like competitive things that just are so competitive, but right. And if you think about it, like capitalism, what is capitalism? Every mm-hmm. business is competing against each other to be the best. Mm-hmm. And that's just the culture of the United States. And that's what we're founded on is, is capitalism and competition, but then you're limiting the competition. And I just don't agree with that, but I, that's, yeah. that's something that, you know, could be discussed for days <laughs> episode two with you we'll, we'll talk all about competition and capitalism <laughs> yeah I right, love, exactly i love relegation i love the aspect of that because and especially you know nba and stuff you know the whole tank for first pick type of stuff that's the beautiful thing yeah. about soccer is that like there's no relegation i mean there is relegation there's no top draft picks like you like you're competing for you know your livelihood and for the security of your organization because the drop of like that you get money wise from like television rights from Premier League to Championship Series is huge. Like they talk about mm-hmm. that in the Sunderland Till I Die documentary, like how much money right. they have to give up and how many players you have to give up, and if you don't win, you get punished. And I love the aspect of relegation, and I think it should be implemented more across sports in America, and it gives you that fire, like you said. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's like the most expensive game in the world is the Champions League uh, or the Champions, um, the English Championship, uh, a playoff match. It's between what is it? The first two promote, and then the third and the fourth team, or something like wait three until six? No. Yeah, I eight. think so. I think like the tops, some of the top window, whatever, all compete for that last spot. Right. For they compete for that third spot, and that mm-hmm. final match is worth up to $150 million because of the TV right deals. And like, you know, and, and you're going up to a whole completely different bracket. And that's, that's the second division in England. And it's this, I, I don't remember. Don't quote me on this eighth or seventh, sixth, fifth and fourth, third place team. You know what I mean? It's not even the first two because the first two are already immediately qualified. They go up. But then it's that third and final spot that is being is being fought over between six other clubs that are in the middle of the top top to the middle of the pack, and it's like that's super competitive. Yeah, and that's what kind of held. Uh, so like you know, Grealish for Aston Villa was all but certain coming to Tottenham, but when Villa got uh, pushed up to Premier League, they were able to keep him because if he stayed in Championship, they weren't going to be able to afford him. So Tottenham was going to scoop them up. So it just shows you how big it is for those organizations to keep these players as, you know, top players get people in the seats. And that's what makes you all this money. So it's incredible just kind of like over the past, you know, couple of years, just kind of learning more and more about, you know, relegation and the difference in money is it's, it's huge, but I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm all, I'm, I am pro relegation of all, all things. It'd be awesome to see like NFL right. teams get relocated down to like the XFL or something. <laughs> but then from a business standpoint, you know what I mean? Like I, I completely understand it too, from my own standpoint, you know what I mean? Like if you're buying into MLS and you know, you're buying in at 180 million for a franchise fee and yeah. there's a chance that I'm going to go down. Yeah. No, sorry, buddy. Like I'm, yeah. I'm going to save my money. You know what I mean? That's true. Oh, it's 100% true. So I I get it I really do but like I guess what if you're talking about strictly product like you're trying to get a, the best product out there so I mean like best players best competition and yada 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 you have to implement that I that's my opinion yeah I agree I like it 
um, you know, kind of going to the American sports, you know, when you, when you decided to leave Charlotte after your junior year, did you know going into your junior year that you were looking to kind of, you know, put your eye more towards your professional, you know, chapter of your life or? Yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, that decision kind of came a little bit after, uh, at the beginning of my junior year, I wasn't convinced that I should leave, but, um, I had another, I had a decent season my junior year. I, it was the weakest season I had out of the three. So my freshman was my strongest. And well, actually, my sophomore was my strongest. This freshman year was just the most memorable because we made it all the way to the championship. But um, my junior season was, um, I wouldn't say it wasn't disappointing. I mean, statistically, I did well. Um, and we won the conference championship. So it's like it was all, it was, it was a successful season. Um, just my personal aspirations. I wish I would have like cracked, you know, a certain amount of goals or like, you know, maybe made it a little bit further in the NCAA and stuff like that. But, um, I think for me, I got injured my junior year. So I think I made the decision after that injury that I should leave because, um, you know, I, I, it kind of crept in my mind that I was like, man, like I would be terrified if I got injured in college. And, um, I couldn't pursue my dream. So like, you know, I had the hot hand or I guess the hot foot at the time and my eyes were on me already since my freshman year. So I just decided later, like I'd say the season ended in November. So I would say I probably started thinking about that like late September, um, you know, the last maybe seven to eight games I was thinking about it. And then uh, I got injured and I sat out for like, three or four. So I'd say the last five games of my college career, I probably knew that I was going to leave. So it was yeah. probably the last five. So kind of like walk through that process, you know, like you, you've had so many memorable moments at Charlotte. What's kind of the, what's kind of the process of like, I'm going to go pro. Like, do you have to like tell your family, your coaches, get an yeah. agent? Like how did all that work? You know? I mean, you know, I, I got a feeler for it. Um, um, like, honestly, I, I, I did know that I was probably going to leave after my junior season, uh, before going into my junior year, but I wasn't a hundred percent convinced if that makes sense. Um, so I did tell MLS clubs that I was going to leave just to get a feeler, um, just to see what they thought. So I went to go train with Sporting Kansas City for a week. I went to go train with uh, Colorado Rapids for a few days, for like four or five days. So when I got the feedback from the coaches and they saw me in training and, you know, they saw me as a player physically and everything, even my junior season, um, when I was playing in season and we played Denver, I ended up scoring two goals. And the assistant coach of Colorado Rapids that saw me play when I was there training with them came and watched the game and saw me score two goals. He even said, hey, man, like, look, you're you're a good player you need you can leave like you for sure have the tools and you know it, it was boosting my confidence so as time went on and I, I like I said I I had a I had a good season I think it was eight goals and five is three four or five assists. I don't remember it was like four or five assists so statistically I had a good season but um I just always felt like I wanted to crack double digits. You know what I mean? I always wanted to get at least 10 goals. Um, and that was a little disappointing. I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I don't know if I should 
I should leave. And then, you know, the injury happened. And I was like, man, like, you know, it could have been worse. And I could have a worse injury. And then, like, nobody would want me. So, you know, there was multiple things that influenced me to, to make the decision to go because the coaches were telling me that I was good enough, like the professional coaches. Um, obviously, my coach wanted me to stay in college. Um, he wanted me to go to the Super Draft the next year, which I I personally believe I would have 100% gone in the first round. But I was a little bit scared that, you know, maybe it doesn't get that far. Um, but the process was, uh, in my opinion, it was I was convinced at the end. Like at the end, when I made the decision, I was confident that it was the right choice. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and so you got drafted by Chicago, right? And um, did you enjoy your time? So b- before we get into like going to um, you know, places overseas and stuff like that, did you kind of enjoy your time? Chicago, you went down to Florida for a while, Texas, uh, San Antonio for a little bit, mm-hmm. Richmond, mm-hmm. Charlotte. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of uh, what was kind of your experience with just kind of staying in states at first and seeing how that you know worked out for you? Dude, it was it 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 really was amazing. Like Chicago was great. I thought it was. I had um a great time. I was really unfortunate that they let me go. Um, it's up for me still very controversial because I had I don't think they had any reason to let me go. I was doing really really well with the second team, um, which wasn't an official second team, but just you know the players that weren't starting or playing for the first team were playing in this reserve league and and I was scoring goals for the reserve team and I scored a brace against New York Red Bull and I scored the first ever preseason game like my professional first preseason game I scored um and I um I played really well in other matches like you know like we were playing against other professional teams like we were playing against all USL clubs and stuff with the with the second team of Chicago and I was performing well and yeah they some for some reason just didn't rate me and like the nature of the game they just let me go and I I was I was genuinely heartbroken like I I was shattered um but then I got a really 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 good opportunity to play with Orlando City and that was it was that was amazing I mean Orlando City I loved it so so much the coach was amazing he's currently now with the Minnesota uh he's with Minnesota United in MLS Adrian Heath amazing coach super duper hard guy i mean like he's an everton legend i mean it's like this guy can't walk this guy can't walk five feet into everton without being harassed by the fans i mean he's like a super legend there big big legend and uh super good coach very hard um if he yelled at you and he gave you instructions and he criticized you very harshly it's because he liked you so and i got i got a scolding quite often but he liked me so I, that was one of the best experiences. I hated it when he would yell at me, but like I knew he did it because he liked me. And I kind of took that and I fed off of it. Um, I fed off that. And that's what one of the things I really remember was that um, when he would yell at me, I would be like, man, at least he likes me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Looking back um, on the hindsight. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's if you think about it, like if the coaches don't say anything at all to you, you're, you're basically like, you know, not in their plans. You know, they're like, well, he should just do whatever. Like, you know, he should just, yeah. you know, just kind of. Like doing... Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I, I agree. You're you're just kind of being like a placeholder, but having that scolding does make you feel important. So it was a little bit different situation than Chicago, right? You kind of made you want to play. Yeah, harder. 
Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, like I was getting to the point too. It was like I, I didn't really feel like the coach ever rated me from the beginning, even though I was doing my job, and he was playing me in different positions. He was playing me as a right, right winger, left winger, even though I originally came in as a forward, as a nine. So I was adapting to a new position, plus faster speed of play. The stakes were way higher. I mean, there was these guys making crazy amount of money. Played in international teams and playing in international levels, first divisions all over the world, and these players were super good. And I was adapting, and I felt like I got an unfair chance. I mean, it was like a short five months, and I felt like I wasn't done right. But you know, that's just the nature of the game. Uh, I moved on from it relatively quickly, and uh, then after Orlando, I went to San Antonio, and we ended up winning the league, and that was amazing. That was really really cool. Something super duper special. We ended up winning the title. Uh, there was like eight thousand fans in the home game, and dude, it was amazing. It was That's really, awesome. really cool. It was really cool. That was amazing. And yeah, um, I've played also in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Ronaldo R nine, the Brazilian R nine. He was the owner there, so that was kind of special. Wow. Um, I played in Puerto Rico, which is technically United States. Well, it is United States. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Carmelo Anthony was the owner there. That was really dope. That was super duper cool. You know, that was going to be my question because I remember looking at that picture. I didn't realize he was the owner. So I saw the picture with you, him, and Jimmy Butler. Um, yeah. And, like, I was going to ask you with that, meeting Ronaldo and Kaká, like, how, how was it kind of going from, you know, like watching some of these people, although, you know, Melo and Butler are basketball, but how was it kind of jumping to this professional level and kind of meeting these people who are also professionals and guys you grew up watching? Was it kind of a, like, were you trying to play it cool, starstruck? How did you kind yeah. of react? I mean, it, it was different for every person because um, I met them on different occasions. Like, Ronaldo was the owner of the team, so I knew I was going to meet him at some point. So it was really, really cool when I met him because it was, like, prone to happen. But when I met Melo, it was the same thing. But then I saw Jimmy Butler, and I was like, whoa. I was like, this is really cool. And I think Jimmy Buckets is awesome. Like, people hate him because he's so competitive. But I, that's, what, that's to the point where I was getting at before. It was like – he has so much hustle and he's such a grinder and like nobody respects that. And I'm like, dude, like this guy works harder than anybody out here. And you guys are neglecting the fact that he has to work twice as hard as for example, somebody of his, a, a different caliber talent, right? Like for example, let's say LeBron James, like LeBron James is just like, he works really hard. But, like, he's just gifted, you know what I mean? He's just LeBron. And, I mean, I'm not saying that he just, like, magically received his talent and then, like, he became LeBron. Obviously, he worked extremely hard at it. But you can just tell that the chip on Jimmy Butler's shoulders are just, like, I mean, the, he doesn't want anybody being better than him in practice. He doesn't want anybody being better than him at free throws. They don't want anybody being better than him at anything. He doesn't want anything being better – or to be beaten on anything. So it's like, you know, I think that that is such a good quality to have. That, this is my opinion, right? Like, this is not like what has to be everybody else's opinion. It's just mine. That um, I think that that's such a good quality to have that you want to be the best. Like, that's just the competitive nature of things. Like, you want to be the best. Like, people call Russell Westbrook a sore loser. They call him, like, an over-the-top person. But, like, he wants to be the best. Ronaldo, same thing. He wants to be the best. And people just say, oh, yeah, they're, like, super snobby, ego like, egotistic and narcissistic people. But, like, 
in reality, you have to be some sort of selfish to be the best because there's only one best person. It's either going to be you or somebody else. And like, I'm not saying be a selfish person, but I'm just saying like, sometimes being a little bit selfish is a, is, is a positive thing because if you're a people pleaser, you're giving yourself to people and you're not, and you're neglecting, you're neglecting your own needs. You know what I mean? So it's like, if your need is to really look at and focus on yourself first to see that you're in a good place. Also, you can be, you're in a put in a position to help others. But if you're not even in that position to help others and you're helping others, you're just neglecting your needs. And I think that's a poor quality to have. So, you know, it's a double edged sword, you know, the whole selfish and then giving thing. Cause both of them can be good and both of them can be bad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at all these doctors, like the MJ documentary coming out now. And even with like Kobe, when he was playing, like people talk about how selfish they were, but look at what they've accomplished being that mindset. Like you have to have that in all sports, not just basketball or in right. life in general. Right. That's awesome. And so, and, you know, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to talk. I was probably just, aimlessly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love how we were going to both just talk just to talk, but yeah. <laughs> No, I, I just think like, you know, just, I mean, I, to clarify the selfishness part, like, like you said, the, the best people or the best athletes, like they all have a sense of selfishness to them and people are envious of being, of them being selfish because they want a piece of what they have. Right. Like they want, everybody wants to be the best, everybody, or maybe not everybody, but everybody who wants to be the best wants to be the best. Mm. So it's like when you don't have it, you're kind of envious of what they have. And then, I don't know, it's just for me that whole, when people say, oh, when you're selfish, you're not humble. It's like, that's so not true. Like, you can be confident in yourself. And then that's a whole nother story. You know what I mean? Confidence means you believe in yourself. And yeah, man, I think that people kind of uh, gaslight other people. They kind of make them look, you know what gaslighting is? Explain it for everyone else who may not know, including me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, ga gaslighting is like a psychological phenomenon that like you can kind of shift blame on someone else and make it look like it's their bad. Like, for example, you can make me look like a bad person because I'm confident and you can call me selfish. So you can make me look bad for being confident, even though I'm just confident in my own abilities and you're just calling me selfish, making everybody believe that I'm a selfish person. Yeah. versus the reality is just i'm confident yeah. so bas basically it's like you're 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 changing the narrative of the story let's put it that way like there's some truth to it but you're changing it in your favor and i think that gaslighting is like one of the worst things that happens on a daily basis is because we see like for example people say ronaldo's selfish yeah he is selfish but he's confident you know what I mean? Like yeah. view it from that perspective that he is a confident person and LeBron he's people say, Oh yeah. Like, you know, LeBron is like more of a playmaker than that, but he's selfish also. He's selfish also. Cause guess what? He wants to win. He wants to be the best and he is the best. So it's like, he just is like being put under a different microscope or on a different lens and people view him from a different perspective. But in reality, the goal is the same. So I don't know. People, people always have that perspective of what they want to see. 
Exactly. And people can shape the narrative to what they want. But what's so what I just love about Ronaldo and LeBron and people like that is through all the ridicule, call them whatever they want to, they still somehow in this modern era of everyone has a voice on social media, they find ways to win and they and they let right. the accolades do the talking. And that's what's so amazing to me. And um, which I'm sure you've taken to too, as far as like, you know, you probably had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder being, you know, let go from Chicago and kind of going on. But from that, you won a championship with San Antonio. So like you're seeing all these things happen and um, being on these great people. And, you know, finally you made it overseas. Is, is it pronounced as FC Chiasso? Chiasso, yeah. Chiasso, yeah, yeah. I had to make sure I said yeah. it right. <laughs> so exactly, how, important, yeah. how important was it for you to, be there not only for your own career but just kind of like for your family's sake and like the pride of your family like being closer to home is that a kind of a big step in your journey yeah no it was good it was good man um I think that that move was um at the time I didn't appreciate it as much because um I just wasn't aware of how important that move was for me um in in the sense of my soccer career because it was a good place to be at the time and also would be a good place to be now if I was playing there today. Uh, but I just, I feel like, like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty. before. Like, I realized that later on that, you know, man, like I had a really good opportunity on, like, in front of me and I didn't really utilize it to 100% of my advantage. Um, I also felt like I was being un treated unfairly there. But, you know, like I said before, like, you know, that's just the nature of the game. Sometimes you find favor in certain situations and then sometimes you don't find favor and it's just how you react to, you know, just, I guess the adversity that you face is, is just how you react to that. And I was basically sent away after six months because the technical director and the head coach were both fired. That brought me in because we were not really doing so great. We were fighting relegation. So at the end of the season, we ended up staying in the same league and I had a whole year contract left. But the coach that came in newly uh, didn't want to keep me, basically. So um, he uh, he suggested that I just go on loan somewhere. And uh, I went back to San Antonio on loan. Um, but during my time period in Switzerland, I learned a lot because, you know, the game here is so much different than in America. If They emphasize a lot on tactics, a lot of, on, on technical ability. Um, and the game is played at a different rhythm. Um, and I didn't really understand that at the beginning. I felt like it was like, you know, all oh, the American way. I have to run and work as hard as possible and this, that, and that. But, like, in reality, like, I had to maybe put that a little bit behind me, a little bit, like, like uh, kind of tone it down a little bit and focus on really what the style of play is here and kind of add a little bit to that. Um, and I realized that a little bit later. It took me maybe like four, four or five months to kind of figure that whole part out. And then at the end, I was feeling really, really comfortable there. And then unfortunately, I, they just let me go. But, um, you know, you just, those are the ups and downs in life, right? Yeah. That, and that kind of brings you kind of bookends to the very end too, you know. I mean, overall, you know, how have you seen your journey play thus far? You know, you can't always predict what the future holds and everything. But and you made some great memories from – being all over from here to you know um you know down in kind of the caribbean area to the switzerland your family's there and that's where you are now um 
where do you kind of see yourself as far as the next five years? Five, and I know it's kind of hard to put a five-year, 10-year plan on a professional level because you don't know where you're going to be, but do you want to pursue continuing coming back to the States to continue playing soccer or just um, see what you can do over there in Switzerland? Or Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I would, I would love to live out both dreams. You know, I feel like I, I would love to kind of make a name for myself out here again. Um, you know, a lot of people still say, or a lot of people say that, you know, 27 is kind of the age of your prime is the age that like, you know, you should really be at your maturest. And I guess it's a balance between your maturest and your physically most still, you know, put together body, you know what I mean? Because everything after like 30, they say you start crumbling. Um, I feel that, you know, so (laughs) You know, like, I, I feel like I, I, I still can make a push and I can make a name for myself out here. Um, and I, I truly believe that. Um, I just need to get the opportunity. And uh, God willing, if it does happen, I think that I would love to stay here and play uh, as long as I can. And hopefully some doors do open back home in America and uh, will lead into other opportunities, you know. Yeah. So, like you said, it's kind of hard to predict. But for now, I would love to stay here play a few years here, make a name for myself out here, live out my dream here in, in Switzerland or in another European country. And if the doors, if the doors open, I would love to play again in the United States. That'd be awesome. Hopefully if Charlotte gets MLS team, you can come back and play back in your other hometown. <laughs> we can all come out yeah. here and support you and stuff like that. Dude, that would be really cool, man. Yeah, no, it'd be really cool. Like I would love poetic. to, I would love to have another uh, Charlotte reunion. That'd be sick. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm out to support you because the closest place we have here, I guess it's US, uh, NCFC. That's the closest place here. Um, well, there's um, a Charlotte Independence. They oh, play right. in Matthews. Cause, yeah, because I, I forgot you played there. Or you went out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope to get you back here in the States selfishly so I can, you know, come see you in person mm-hmm. play again. But uh, of course, we'll be here to cheer you on wherever you're going to be and make sure we follow you. But, um, I appreciate appreciate it, Giuseppe. It was awesome. I, I really want to have you on again. I feel like this is going to be the longest podcast, but I want to go longer. But just for the respect <laughs> of people listening, I don't want them to hear me for any longer than they have to. No, nah, it's um, okay. I completely get it, man. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to, you know, plug anything, any, any social media or anything. Um, you have a, I mean, I, I love seeing your stuff on Instagram. So I don't know if you wanted to plug that or anything. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Thanks uh, for having me and uh, everybody who's listening. I appreciate you guys taking your time to hear my annoying voice. But um, uh, yeah, no, if you guys, I have social media platforms with uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, it's Juicy92. So it's uh, at G-I-U-S-S-I-9-2. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I sure I'll be on again, man. I'm, I'm, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, like I said, this has been a blast, man. I really want to do it again. But stay safe over there. Um, continue cooking awesome food with the beautiful view in the mountains in the background. I'm envious of that all. And uh, hopefully someday, uh, my wife has family all over. Hopefully someday I'll cross and pass over in Europe somewhere and we can just hang out and do this in person sometime. Yeah, you let me know and I'll be there. And when you're <laughs> right, here, man, I'll be there. <laughs> Perfect, of course. Man, I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, thank you all so right. much for having me. Absolutely, right. man. All right, yeah. Ben. Take care.